The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, could you turn to John 21? We are going to be looking at this story here at the end of the book of John. And in that story, we're going to be picking up with a character named Peter, some of you may be familiar with. And we're going to be looking at this story we just, Dave just read for us the beginning part of the story, and we're going to be picking up here in John 21. If you do not have a Bible, we have plenty of Bibles there in the back. It's about 200 pages in from the back cover for the book of John, or about 150 pages, um, about like that, right? <laughs> so something like that. The book of John, the last chapter of the book of John, John 21. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this for us, John 1, 1 through 19. And we're going to pray, and we're going to see how this passage fills our hearts with joy for this Easter morning and this Easter holiday. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, heard it was the Lord, he put, out his gar- put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, abroad, aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, and when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, 
and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Father, as we look at the story of Jesus and Peter, I pray that you would fill our hearts with confidence in life this morning and that you would deal a death blow by the resurrection of Jesus to our shame in the experiences that we have in this life where we feel we carry around an inner death. And would you do this because Jesus is alive and he loves us. It's in his name we pray, amen. So Easter is one of those weird holidays, right? When we have, when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating somebody's birthday, right? Everybody kind of appreciates a birthday, right? You have a birthday, everybody has a birthday in your, in your house, whether you have a cake or you do whatever. Everybody knows what a birthday is, but on Easter, we celebrate this crazy event, this crazy story of a dead man who breathed in life again and walked out of a stone grave. It's a bit strange, right? It's so strange that in the ancient world, they all thought that Christians were absolutely insane, and they didn't understand anything about what Christians were talking about. And even today, we talk about it, and the closest like, experience that we can have to this, or the closest association with the resurrection of Jesus are like zombies, right? <laughs> like dead bodies coming back to life. Or uh, if you're an Avengers fan, right, everybody's looking forward to the next Avengers movie. And some people, I'm not going to say who, because I don't want to give anything away, are dead in the storyline, and we're hoping they come back to life, right? The resurrection of Jesus is totally different because it is a man who said, to, said in his dead state, I'm going to come back alive. And that's a bit strange. It's a bit of a story that seems, how, does, how do we even relate to this? Because that seems not only so foreign and odd and hopefully true, right? It is true. But what does it mean for our lives? It's just such a strange thing. It's hard for us to even comprehend. What does it mean for Jesus to raise himself from the dead But what does it mean for our life today? What does it mean for me that Jesus was dead for three days, 2,000 years ago, and then rose from the dead, walked out of the grave, and ascended into heaven? What does that mean for my life today? Does that that resonate with any of us? Because we talk about the resurrection, and we're like, man, this is so great. And yes, I I look forward to being raised from the dead. That, That sounds like a great day way off in the future, right? I'd like to not die anytime soon and therefore be raised from the dead anytime soon. But between here and there, there's a bit of uh, our life that we'd like to keep living. And what does that resurrection of Jesus, ha- what does it mean for us today? I think that's actually why John ends this book with this whole long chapter basically about the Apostle Peter. Peter is, in effect, our key into this passage to unlock not only to see the story of the resurrection, but for that key to come in and unlock God's life and resurrection power for our daily life, right? So Peter, if you will remember in this story just merely a chapter ago, right? Here he was, confident. I'm with Jesus, me and Jesus, all the way to the end. Me and Jesus, we're going to take the hill together. And then what happens? In a burning trash heap, he just goes down in flames, doesn't he, right? He denies Jesus. He runs from Jesus. He forgets who Jesus is, right? Peter is here now confronted by his friend who he denied and then was dead, and now he's alive again. And you can imagine that basically behind the smile on Peter's face is this inner shame. This is the guy that I I denied. This is my best friend that I rejected. This is my best friend that I said I had no idea who he is. And when we bring up this idea of shame, 
sometimes we talk about like a shame culture in one context or another, but it seems kind of like an old school idea. But I think Peter kind of brings out in this story as we kind of work through it, what our daily lives of shame can feel like. But shame, the language of shame, the inner language of shame that Peter's experiencing in this story and maybe you experience are things, statements in our minds and our hearts that say, I'm a failure, I'm worthless, I'm inconvenient, I'm really worth nothing, if I were truly known, I'd be rejected, I don't have a home, I'm a waste of time, and I'm useless. See, those are all statements that maybe Peter has in, his, in the back of his head. Those are all statements that Jesus is coming to Peter to confront. These are all statements that Jesus rose from the grave, not only to give us real resurrection in the end, but to take these little moments of death on the inside and raise us to new life on the inside. That's, that's why this, this chapter is here at the very end, because John is saying, Jesus rose from the grave, and he lives with us now, and one of the main things we have to deal with in our life now are all these little ways that we experience death on the inside. And Peter is our entry into finding how Jesus' resurrection destroys our shame to give us new life. I know that's a same, simple story, but that's what Jesus is aiming to do here. He is aiming to destroy Peter's shame on the inside, his inner narrative, and maybe yours too, so that we can experience this Easter as we live our life together in Jesus, we can experience this functional, this real, this power to save us from this inner death on the inside. So we're just going to walk through this story. We're going to see how the resurrected Jesus does three things for us in dealing a death blow to our shame and giving us new life in him. The resurrected Jesus, he calls us, he calls shamed people, he renews shamed people, and then he sends honored people. That's what this Easter story is about for our inner life with him. The resurrected Jesus, pick up in verse 1 through 8, calls shamed people. Verses 1 through 8, now Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. All right, let me go on to see what Peter said. I'm going fishing, right, to all these other disciples. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out to go into the boat, and that night they caught nothing, right? This is a story where, what do we find Peter doing? Jesus, while the universe has been getting a new king, the king rose from the grave, and he turns over the, the power of death, and he says, you don't have any hold over me. Peter sees the resurrected Jesus, and what does he say? I'm going to go fishing. Right? This isn't like this isn't like a like a like a like a holiday relaxation on the weekend, right? Some some people go fishing on the weekend, right? Some people go fly fishing on the weekend, like for fun. No, what Peter's doing here, he's not just kind of saying, like, oh, I'm just gonna go have a vacation. Jesus is alive, it's all good. What he's saying here is, I don't have anything else to do with my life. I don't have anything else to rely on. I don't have anything else that I'm worth. I'm just gonna go back to what I know. Right? Because that's where Jesus found Peter, right? Jesus found Peter in the midst of his fisherman life, right? He was a blue-collar guy. He was a guy who was out there fishing, and Jesus came to him and said, I'm calling you to be one of my disciples, right? That's what Jesus was doing when, when he met Peter. And then what happens in the story is not just kind of like an allusion to that. It's a repeat of that story. I, I don't know if you remember the story over in Luke 5. I'm going to read it for us just so we can kind of all hear it. And this is where Jesus was preaching at the very beginning of his ministry. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, 
put on put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered to him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Right, does that sound familiar to the story we just read? We've, we've been fishing all night. <laughs> we didn't catch anything. And if they did, and they and the number, let's see, and the large and they brought in a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats that they began to sink. But Simon Peter saw, and he fell at Jesus' knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Right? How much did Peter get to know that statement was true? For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Right? And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. For now on you will catch men. Right? And here Peter is at the end of his life. He had been catching men. He had been being, making disciples with Jesus. And here he is ashamed at how he has betrayed Jesus. And what does he go back to? All that he knows. And Jesus knows that. Jesus enters into that with him, right? That's exactly why Jesus picks up this moment where he's I'm going to reveal who I am to you, Peter. I'm going to reveal something about me that you have never experienced in a deep way before. I'm going to go back to who you were, your roots, and I'm going to call you out of that shame, right? So that's why here in the story, it goes on to basically repeat the same thing, right? Late night fishing, they got nothing, <laughs> right? In the morning, they have some random guy on the, sh- on, the, on the seashore. By the way, I think that the reason they keep saying, like, they saw him, but they didn't know who it was. It's kind of like when you have a friend that you haven't seen for a while, and the last time you saw them, um, since then they've lost a lot of weight, and then you're kind of like, whoa, you look so different, right? Okay, just imagine that little moment with somebody who was dead. <laughs> it's a little, it may be a little similar to that, right? Whoa, hey, last time I saw you, you were like gray and dead. Now you're alive, right? So you can kind of understand it's a little bit odd. So here they see him, and they, he says, cast your nets, out, your nets out, and that's why it says they caught 143 fish. It's just saying, like, look, these are like big mackerel fish that they caught and they brought in, and the nets weren't breaking this time because here Jesus, his resurrection power, does not allow our souls to break under the, under the stress and strain of our lives. He calls Peter. He goes back to Peter, and he renews his calling. Right? He says, Peter, I know you. I know what's going on. I know what you've done. I know what you feel. But that does not get rid of my claim, my desire for you to be a part of my family, for you to be a part of who I am. You see, Peter was ashamed. Peter was ashamed because he knew his, his, who he was. But Jesus was not ashamed of Peter. You see, Peter's shame was real. Right? If you remember in the story of his betrayal, here he was, a grown man, a fisherman, right? So he was, he was jacked, right? He had walked with Jesus. He was known, sitting around a fire. And a little girl says to him, hey, aren't you with that guy? And he, he, he punks out, right? <laughs> he was ashamed of who he was. It was real. But that's why in the gospel story, we don't just kind of say, oh, Jesus was shamed and blah, blah, blah. No, Jesus was, remember the gospel story is that he went before Pilate and he was beaten and he was lashed and then he was spit on and then he walked from that court all the way out of the town, which would have been basically to walk out of town like Jesus did was like saying like, get out of here, we've never known you. You know, have you ever had anybody say that to you? Get out of here. Jesus was shamed. It was a real shame. 
But did he deserve it? No. Jesus took on that shame so that people who feel at a deep level, I'm broken, I'm needy, I'm unloving, and I'm unloved, have that put out on full display so that when Jesus dies, he puts a death blow to that shame. That shame no longer has any claim to him. He chose to die, right? That's what he said all through the book of John. I'm choosing this. I'm choosing to take on your shame. I'm choosing to take on all the ways in which you feel that you're a failure so that you could be identified and that you could be made new and that you could be loved in a way that you would never know. Right? That's the gospel story, right? We're worse than we ever thought we were. We're more loved than we ever thought was possible. And here Jesus is saying to Peter, my victory over death, my victory over sin is a victory over the shame that you experience, Peter. So now, Peter, you don't have to walk in the shame of, like, I've betrayed Jesus. I'm kind of a second-class person. I don't have any value to him. Jesus wore your shame and gave it a death blow so that your failures are no longer the things that identify who you are. It's the victory of Jesus over death, right? This Easter morning when Jesus walks out of the grave, that's the price. That's, that's what he says is the value of the shame that you feel on the inside. It ain't got no hold over you no more, to put it. It doesn't have any value here, right? Shame has no claim over you because Jesus calls you to be a part of his people. He calls even Peter, who denied Jesus, he calls him and says, I want you. Right, do, you feel, do you feel this? Do you feel maybe that you're a bit useless? What can I offer God? How could he ever use me if only God only knew how much I messed up or who I truly was, that he'd give up on me? You see, Jesus, in calling to Peter and repeating his call to Peter, he's saying to you, no, you're wrong. I know you, and I want you, right? And because he's raised from the dead, the whole world orbits on his terms, right? The whole world orbits on what he chooses to say and do. Jesus knows who you are. He knows how you maybe have betrayed him, and that has no claim over you. Now it's the victory of life. It's now shame has no claim on you. So we're going to pick up here in verse 9 where not only has he renewed his call to Peter, right? The resurrected Jesus renews broken people because here we're going to see that it's not only the call, right? Like, hey, I got a phone call. I'm going to respond to that. But there's an internal dynamic, right? There's an internal response. What do I do with this? Right, verses 9 through 14, and when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of your fish that you have just caught. Now Simon Peter went aboard and, and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, so the fish, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is a bit of, you know, like of all the things to include, right, in the, in the resurrection story, hey, Jesus, a dead man was raised from the grave, and guess what he did? One day he went on and had a beachside breakfast, and what did he have for breakfast? Bread and fish. <laughs> like, I don't know what your favorite memories are, 
you know, like, oh, I went on this, or we went on this vacation, or I remember going to this with my parents, or going to this baseball game. Like, having, like, fish and bread is not exactly like my, like, top list, you know? But there's actually something going on here in verse 9 that I want to draw our attention to. And I want to draw our attention to it in this way. Do you guys have, like, in your memory, like, any sort of, like, vivid, like, smells that you can think of that you just, like, man, I, it's hard for me to, like, draw that memory up, but, like, when I smell it, man, I know I can associate with that, right? So, like, for me growing up, um, so my, my grandfather's Norwegian, so we called him Bestapar, and whenever I went into Bestapar's basement, it had a certain smell. My grandfather was a pilot in World War II, and so he had, like, all these, like, plane, like, gadgets in the basement, um, and he was also a doctor. And so, like, when we went into the basement, it had, like, this, like, grease basement smell. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but just to say, like, that's what it smelled like, you know? Now, when they were on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. I know that that seems kind of like a, like a simple statement, but if I were to say, do you know what a charcoal grill smells like? I think each of us would kind of say, like, oh, I know what a charcoal grill smells like. It smells like... And if you're a vegan, I'm sorry, but it smells like burgers and steaks. And it smells fantastic, right? Just like, man, it's getting cooked. This is actually a moment where Jesus is taking on something from Peter's shameful background and giving him a new memory, right? I think we have this verse here. Can we throw up um, the, I think it's John 18 we have for us here. John 18, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also, are you not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said to him, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Right? That, that's actually, in the original Greek, those are the only two times that, that word's used, charcoal fire there and charcoal fire here. Right? The point is to draw our attention. It's not just a fire. It's not just kind of a moment. It's actually a visceral memory that Peter has, right? Each of us can kind of pick up, like, we smell something, like, man, I remember that, where I originally felt that or saw that. You see, Jesus isn't just kind of like some lofty teacher that says, hey, get rid of your shame. And this could be feel like, is this some sort of, like, weird, like, trauma therapy? <laughs> no, Jesus is drawing out this story for Peter, saying, hey, remember that moment where you betrayed me? Let me lay over that a new story. Let me lay over that a new memory. And what he does then is he draws from this moment back earlier in the book of John where you have Jesus feeding the 5,000. I don't remember that, where he has fish and bread, and this little boy brings, hey, I got like three fish and five loaves of bread. He says, okay, great. And he starts breaking it up and hands it out and gives out five, enough food for 5,000 men, right? That's not, not so say 5,000 men, probably another like 5,000 women, and then you know what, they probably had like 20,000 kids. You know, like they're probably like our church. You know, just like kids all over the place, right? Just food for everybody, right? Jesus is doing that again here. But you, you know the funny part about this story is that Jesus says, he says, um, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And yet he is using fish that he's already got, right? Just like in that story in John 6, Jesus ends the story by saying, I am, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? He invites us to come to him. He wants us to be with him, and yet he doesn't need anything that we bring. 
He doesn't need us to provide anything. That's why Jesus didn't say to his disciples, hey, listen, I'm going to be dead for three days, but then I need you to come knock on the door and then kind of bring in some pads and shock me and raise me from the dead, and then I'll get up. No, he does it on his own power, and just as the way he, he raises himself on his own power, he now provides for us and, rene- and renews memories for us by his own power, and he does it because he wants to be with us. Right? He wants to be with you. Right? Isn't that just such an incredible... Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Right? He wants to be with these guys who were just total punks, right? He wants to be with them because he wants to be with you. And so when he comes in and he takes this visceral memory for Peter, he says, I'm going to lay on this new memory, right? Because Peter could, you could imagine, maybe just like you, have these smells or triggers where you get, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Jesus comes in and says, for Peter, when you smell charcoal fires, I don't want you to think of that moment where you did that most horrible thing. I want you to remember this moment where we just had breakfast together, buddy. I want you to remember this moment. Each week has an opportunity for Jesus to enter into your story and to lay on a new memory, a grace-filled love memory, a mercy memory over something that maybe otherwise would fill you with shame and regret. Because he doesn't just care about how you think about things. He cares about how you experience things. And that's how Jesus comes into the story and renews a broken Peter. He does it in a way where you wouldn't expect Jesus to care about this sort of minutia of a detail. Right? He just destroyed the one thing that everybody fears, death. And yet he cares about how Peter remembers this one smell. He is the broken bread of life. Right? That's a part of the story here. Jesus, back in John 6, leading up to the cross, the way he does that, all of our broken experiences, all of our broken lives led to us breaking the Son of God open. And he chose to do that. He chose to be broken for us so that then he could become the eternal bread of life that is unending, constantly filling, constantly providing, constantly renewing, constantly satisfying souls that are otherwise broken apart from him. This resurrected Jesus comes in and he wants broken people. That's why he was broken so that then he could renew us from the inside and give us new hearts and new life constantly and ever renewing, right? That's why Jesus didn't need their fish. He didn't need anything that they brought to the table. And yet he asked them to bring it, right? (laughs) Because he wants us. He wants us to have breakfast with him, right? Doesn't that sound like a great kind of like, hey, what's a Bible verse for having an Easter dinner? I don't know. It's pretty close to me. Let's have breakfast with Jesus, except with him, right? Or whatever you do for Easter breakfast. He's giving Peter a new memory because he renews broken people. If you're broken in Jesus this morning, you're broken, Jesus wants to renew you this morning. His resurrection ensures, right, we all want to get healing and sometimes we go on vacation or we do these sort of things. Jesus rose from the grave. He has the ability to give you constant, unending power and life. And he wants to do that today. Not because you earn it, or because you bring anything to him, because he looks at you and he says, I want you. 
want to have breakfast. We're going to end the story here by looking at verses 15 and 19. So Jesus not only, he not only calls shamed people, he renews broken people, he also sends honored people. Maybe this is a bit of an odd way to end this story, right? But let's look at verses 15 to 19. Basically, the story goes, you can imagine they just got done with breakfast, all right, kind of wipe their face off, they kind of clean their hands. I mean, they're on the beach, so there's a bunch of sand, so who knows, you know, they just go wash their hands in the water. Get up, and they just kind of go on a walk down the beach. But before that, you could imagine, here's Peter still, right? I've just betrayed Jesus, so I know that he's called me back to himself, and I know that he's shared a meal with me, but does he still want to, does he, does he want to use me? You can imagine a little bit of the anxiety, right? Have you ever been <laughs> called to the principal's office, right? I promise I never got caught in the sense of the principal. Um, but I am also a liar. So um, <laughs> Jesus and Peter, they walk down the beach. What has happened? Right? Peter, Jesus says to Peter, hey, do you love me? Peter says, of course you know I love you. Jesus says, hey, do you love me? Of course you know I love you. Another 20 feet down the beach. Hey, do you love me? Yes, of course I love you. But you know what Jesus is doing here? If you remember the story of Peter and how he got into this moment of shame, this, this grip of shame. Remember how he got there? He denied Jesus three times. And Jesus says, I know. I know you've denied me three times. And yet I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to get stuck in that memory. I don't want that to kind of hang over you like a cloud. <laughs> Jesus actually enters into that. He says, no, do you love me? Okay, join me. Do you love me? Join me. Do you love me? Join me. To match each one of Peter's denials. See, Jesus isn't done with Peter. I'm not sure how you have experienced this in your life. Have you, you feel like you're, you're broken goods, that you're not usable by Jesus, that you're somehow unworthy to be used by him. Actually, the way of the kingdom is not the way we would expect, right? What Jesus is doing here, imagine if you worked at a company and you stole 2,000 bucks from your boss. And then not only do you get fired, but then the next day, let's say it happens on a Friday, on Monday, the boss calls you back and says, hey, I want to hire you back, and then I want to make you the president of the company we're going to be starting. Right? That is not what you would expect. That's the way of the kingdom here. Right? People who have disgraced Jesus, he invites them into his family because Jesus already loves them first. Right? This goes beyond just mere forgiveness. It goes all the way to honor. Jesus is asking Peter to be faithful to him. And then not only that, Jesus is giving Peter his job description. Peter, I want you to join me in being a shepherd to care for other people. Whatever you feel like you've brought to the table that is broken and is shameful and is just unusable, that actually means that you're the type of person that Jesus wants to put under his honor, to put under the banner of his name, and then to send out as a part of his mission. Right? If you don't bring anything to the table, that's the point. That's what the resurrection means. We don't have to bring anything to the table. We don't have to bring anything to offer to God. We don't have to bring anything. 
He loves to take people like you and me from acceptance to commissioning, from shame to acceptance, from acceptance to commissioning. That's the way of the kingdom. He loves to send people like you and me. So how does the resurrection take over the world? People like you and me who gather together on Valley and Wilson Street in Manchester, New Hampshire on Easter Sunday to experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Say, this Jesus wants us to join him, to take this power, to go into our works, to continue our recovery, to go into our families. Whatever we do this week, that's what he wants us to be a part of. You see, the shame that we started talking about, the shame that seemed to have such a grip over Peter at the beginning of the story, the shame that seems to have a grip over us in our daily lives, the shame was acknowledged and embraced by Jesus and yet had no power over him, and he destroys it. And he calls people who feel shamed. He renews people who feel shamed, and he honors people who feel shamed so that we can experience his new resurrection power day by day. Do you feel your shame and brokenness? Jesus knows what it is. He knows what's up. But it doesn't have any power over him. If it doesn't have any power over him, if you're in Jesus, that means it no longer has any power over you. Right? That is what we talk about when we talk about the victory of Jesus. When we talk about his victory in our lives, that does not mean some sort of like rah-rah statement. It means a real, powerful day-to-day this inner death that I experience on the inside where I just feel like I'm killing myself with all these memories and ideas. Jesus says those don't have any power here. Those don't belong here. This is not a part of the family identity. This is not a part of the family meal. This isn't something that I'm going to come and watch you over the back with. No, it's life and love. And he chose to step in to know and care for you and to give you infinite mercy, unending life on a daily basis so that when the book ends... Here, verse 25, now there are also many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that were written. If that happened in Jesus' day, but the point is just to say, he does this not only with Peter, but he does this with you. What's your need on this resurrection day, this Easter Sunday? Jesus wants to enter into that and give you new life and new power in him so that you experience new life in him on a daily basis. This is what it means. This is the the functional, tangible power of the resurrection in our lives. I pray that as we experience the joy of Easter Sunday today, eat up that food, hang out with people, experience new life in Jesus today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you destroyed the power of death and you destroyed the power of this inner death of shame that we experience. I pray that you would renew us day by day. Would you renew us today by your power so that we would experience new life in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.